Hello everyone and welcome to Primrose Light. You're here with me, Roshni. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by my good friend, Tanya. Tanya and I go back many years now, having both studied law at university. Um, but Tanya's got a very impressive story, which I'm going to read out her, her very impressive bio. So Tanya, after qualifying as a solicitor with leading international law firm, Alan Novery, Tanya turned her passion for real estate and design into launching G&T, a construction and development business focusing on developing award-winning residential schemes across central London. With a £250 million backing from the Carlisle Group and Blackstone in 2017, Tanya founded Uncommon, a flexible workspace provider. With Tanya as the CEO, Uncommon has established itself as the leading flexible operator, focusing on delivering best-in-class sustainable-led, design-led and technologically advanced spaces growing from 20,000 to 250,000 square foot in central London. Tanya is a regular speaker at leading industry events and conferences, including Property Week and PERE. She sits on judging panels of a number of leading real estate awarding bodies, including Estate Gazette, and has herself been nominated as the Young Personality of the Year 2020 by Property Week. Top 46 women continuing to shape the world of real estate in 2019 and as top five property developers shaking up the UK real estate market. Tanya also has two little boys and herself is an avid traveller. So that was a whole mouthful to read out of all the very impressive accolades that Tanya has achieved. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited, Tanya, to have you on and to talk to us a bit about your background, um, but also all the amazing things that you've gone on to achieve. So a very warm welcome to you. Oh, thank you so much, Roshni. Very excited to be part of the of this uh, podcast. So thanks very much for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. So, so sort of just going back, uh, sort of at the very beginning of, of what I'd read out, you obviously started your, your career, that's how you and I met, you know, we did law, and then you went on to go and train with the Magic Circle. Talk to us a little bit about how you found your time at Allen Overy, and then sort of what led you on to, to, to pastures new, as it were. Sure. Um, so as, as, as you, as you mentioned, um, we both did law and as part of kind of a law degree, uh, you know, start applying for jobs for training contracts to become a, a lawyer quite early on. I think that's sort of second year of university. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it kind of coincided with the uh, global financial crisis. And uh, I remember really well applying for um, jobs, uh, traineeship jobs, when basically Lehman Brothers was collapsing. People were basically being escorted out of the building with, you know, boxes of their belongings. It was certainly not the best time to, um, to to apply for jobs. But somehow, miraculously, I managed to to secure training contract at A&L back in the day. And we're talking sort of 2000, kind of eight, I think nine. Um, and, and to be honest with you, that that sort of really was 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 very much a sort of a, a shining star for me. You know, the best possible achievement at the time I was super excited. I think I was literally excited for a year. I was like happy and bubbling and just like that, that just the thought that made me happy. Um, every time I would think about it. Um, and honestly, it probably was my top choice number one. Like I didn't want to go anywhere else apart from that firm. Uh, but then actually when I joined the firm and I've sort of, I guess, um, kind of stepped away from the, the sort of more of an academic um, kind of uh, side of the, of the of law into more sort of practical side, I've realized actually as a junior lawyer, you're probably spending most of your time 
on matters that unfortunately don't necessarily need a degree in the first place and maybe sound horrible, but it is a very much uh, sort of a, a support type of kind of, um, you know, PA chasing documents, marking up sort of spreadsheets. And, and I just found it incredibly mundane that that's, you know, a kind of a very, very honest um, sort of um, impression that I had from, from the first few months that I, that I was there. Um, and I think the, the, the overall idea of sort of working sort of nonstop long hours, I mean, we're talking, you know, sometimes nearly exceeding 100 billable hours a, a week was was something, a prospect that I wasn't really excited about. And to be honest, like two years, I remember it with a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of sort of just powering through it. And I was thinking, you know what, this is probably not the career I want to pursue. Um, but um, you know, I, I just still want to get a qualification. I want to get through it and, and kind of have, you know, that, that sort of certificate on the wall that no one can, can really take away from you. And I think that that's kind of that made, made me sort of plow through it. On reflection, upon reflection, many years since then, um, you know, I had a phenomenal experience. I think the, the sort of the, the shaping, the knowledge, just the understanding that I take for granted today was very much, um, uh, you know, what's very much part all that whole couple of years of training and, and, and all of the sort of LPC training beforehand. So I think it wasn't appreciated. I wasn't appreciating how much it really gave me of the sort of a wider perspective, um, you know, business understanding, understanding how law firms work, understanding different elements, um, you know, of a business transaction, understanding some sort of concepts that, again, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm currently taking for granted. And when you go into your own business and job and sort of creating creating your own company uh, many people probably don't understand i think you know i'm eternally grateful i built also a phenomenal network of um of friends uh who i studied with during the lpc and then trained um during my training contract so this is something that you know you can't really replicate um, and i think that's kind of relationships that you forge very early on in your lifetime and then hopefully they stay with you for you know for life really so um, so overall, I think it's very, very positive. Plus, I'd say, you know, Alan Norrie's fantastic, um, fantastic name on your CV. And, you know, every time you would put it um, uh, kind of as a, as a, as a point of um, sort of tick box, if you'd like, okay, you're not crazy. That's great. Okay, you've got a job with it, you know, got good corporate um, law firm. And I think that's, you know, that, that just almost the pre-qualifies that a lot of people need when you sit in front of them across the across the the, the, the table um and, and and being a lawyer i think somehow weirdly doctors and lawyers um uh, kind of instill some level of trust in people i think so so i think that that's certainly certainly positive absolutely well well said well said and i mean you sort of mentioned that you obviously were doing a hundred hundred week a uh, hundred hour week um and realized that perhaps wasn't for you, found it a little bit mundane, and then you sort of changed tack and perhaps thought entrepreneurial life might suit you more. So talk to us about that thought process and and actually when did the wheel start kind of coming into motion and thinking, you thinking, well, actually, I'd like to, to do something a little bit more creative and perhaps a little bit more independent of the corporate life that you've perhaps been exposed to thus far? Sure. Um, to be honest, it kind of started before, you know, before I embarked on it, uh, on, on my training contract. Um, the way sort of my, my kind of academic um, qualification was structured, I had my degree, my three-year degree, and then I jumped straight onto LPC. And back in the day, that was um, ANO sponsored LPC, which took a year. And then I had basically a gap year between my LPC and between I, when I started my training contract. 
and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I was sort of thinking, well, maybe I can go and work as a sort of a paralegal or have some sort of a, a you know, a law related um, job. So just to help me with kind of preparing me for the training contract. But I certainly wasn't impressed with the, um, I guess, annual salaries that I was being offered um, as a paralegal back in the day and kind of basing on the, on the number of hours that I was also expecting to work. So clearly a very, um, you know, hard to satisfy type of um, individual. Um, so I kind of said, well, no, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not doing it um, for that kind of money. It's like literally better if I just work at, you know, Karen Millen um, and, you know, in addition, I, I get 50% off clothing, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, as shallow as that, but I was kind of comparing, you know, what, where, where do I spend my time? If, if I actually subdivide the number of hours I spend working for a firm uh, that probably is paid less than McDonald's as, as, as ridiculous as, as it may be. Um, and, and that's actually, you know, kind of started me thinking, okay, what else can I do during that year? Um, I always loved real estate. I always loved property. I always found some sort of a weird attraction to bricks and mortar to creating environments and it kind of comes from early childhood and my husband girl um, shares that passion and 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 we uh, met at university we were studying law together um, and then by that time I sort of was uh, doing my degree we got married um, and kind of during that year he was a, um, a banker in the city at the time uh, and I kind of thought okay maybe maybe let's you know let's go and and buy property just a small flat renovate it and you know see just as a kind of a side job um which we did we basically kind of had you know family friends um funding round that helped us buy the first property uh we refurbished it and that year basically spent kind of before starting you know spent um you know designing it and working with architects and builders in putting it together and that's fundamentally kind of what really brought me into this whole um i guess career and I, I must say, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the tangibility of it. I really enjoyed the um, the, the sort of seeing the kind of what you're doing is is having some sort of a you know impact and 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 it's kind of um, something you can feel and touch. Um, and then basically by the end of that year, I've sort of stepped stepped away um, into my corporate career. But I think I've never really I could never go back. Like you know, once you try that sort of entrepreneurial um sprint of that you know the, the sort of the, the energy the, the the freedom that it gives you i think going back into a corporate job i found that quite um quite difficult and i think even more so with a very very strict requirements hours um sort of hierarchy um that certainly didn't speak to me really really well um and i think you know pretty much within the first months i kind of thought this is this is not what i want to do um, I will persevere, I will finish it, but I have been working on sort of my side thing throughout the whole two years I was at a and um, and, 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 and to the point that even, uh, you know, at some point I was, I was a bit terrified thinking, oh my goodness me, you know, maybe I'm not allowed to do that aside from my job. You know, what if I, what if I don't get qualified? What if something happens? But I mean, it's obviously we're worries that, that I had at the time it's nothing, nothing serious at all, but obviously you're kind of always concerned about it as you're doing something, but you know, all the other hours, a part of the hundred hours that I was doing at you know, I was basically dedicating on that side business, you know, the weekends, the evenings, the mornings. Um, and that's really kind of how it allowed me and Gal to sustain that sort of business uh, for the period that I was at the know, He decided to quit his full-time job and basically dedicate his time fully into the business. And we've sort of, you know, worked kind of in tandem. So we almost switched roles. Um, and yes, once, you know, once Aino was over, I sort of, 
I didn't have a second thought. That was that was something that you know I knew I'm going to go into, and and you know I was incredibly excited um, that that I can kind of dedicate my full time um, to it um, once once I qualified. Absolutely brilliant. And so, I mean, talk to us a little bit about. Obviously, it was a great partnership with you and Gal. Do you think perhaps your life might have taken a different turn had you not met Gal, and actually things might have unfolded quite differently? Um, because certainly what you were thinking, well, certainly what. What you were saying got me thinking about a quote from Steve Jobs, where he says, "The only way to do great work is to love what you do, and if you fa- if you if you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle." And I guess perhaps you'd stumbled onto this, or perhaps, like you said, you'd always had a love for real estate, and it just fit. It it, it fitted. It made sense. And I guess you then both found you did 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 feel like you could commit to something that you wanted to spend all your time doing. But I'm conscious if that hadn't happened. Do you have any idea what you might be doing? God knows. I think it's, you know, it's my guess is probably as long as anyone's. Um, I think, I think um, you know, partners obviously shape each other quite a bit. I think they, you know, we're our sort of um, partnership. We, 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 I think, are the opposites uh, of each other in, in many ways. You know, I love doing things that he absolutely hates and vice versa. And it's like really strongly. Uh, you know, I really strongly hate doing something that he absolutely loves. So it's, it's. I think it's kind of a component that works really well. Um, I think in many ways, it's you know, it's a um, ability to to also have almost like a second, you know, second head, if you'd like, that you can kind of run things through, and it, it does help in in sort of you know, in your in your journey when I think entrepreneurship can be very lonely and can be really um, isolating in many ways, and I think. To be an entrepreneur, um, you know, I, I think you can learn a lot um, as a as as an individual from sort of business perspective. But I think entrepreneurship is is a is a something that someone either has in them or they don't. I don't think they can learn to be entrepreneurs. And maybe that sounds you know unfair or harsh, but but I do think that's a kind of a quality that is built in. And a lot of it, as I think, is associated with the level of risk and the level of um, tolerance um, that you perhaps build up as well as, as an individual as you go through different challenges in, in, in any business venture. And it's, it's, it's the ability to, you know, to, to have that resiliency and, and to, to kind of really grow that resiliency. And, and I must say something that would absolutely take me off kilter, um, you know, in my development career 10 years ago, it doesn't move me at all, um, you know, now. And there are many different sort of steps that you go through, but I think the first and foremost is that jump and that kind of level of um, sort of tolerance um, that you are happy with uh, when you're facing and dealing with uncertainties. And a lot of people are not very comfortable with that. I do think you can learn to become more comfortable with it if you experience it's almost like a muscle. Uh, but 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 I think that initial sort of step is is. Is, is quite essential and quite important and not many people I think do it perhaps to you know for for, for, for various reasons mm. but at the same time I'm, I'm also thinking you know we both were really young I mean we got married really young we were sort of in our kind of early 20s um, and you know before we had kids uh, before before we sort of had any kind of obligations if you'd like and I think it is a lot easier to have that jump or make that jump sooner or later just because it's it's you know once you have more obligation not for everyone but for for probably a lot of people 
you sort of not just thinking about yourself, you're thinking about kind of a wider implications this can help can have on on sort of your family, your children, and 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 so on. So, um, you know, I, I think we certainly help each other in many ways, but at the same time, you know, we've we've also learned to kind of not step on each other's toes. We've learned um, and kind of grown. Gr- we, we've grown into separate roles um, in what we do in the business that we run. And and again, we try to build on our strength, not on our weaknesses. Um, you know, if I'm strong at something, that's what I would be doing. Vice versa, as opposed to as opposed to the other way around. Um, and I think you know the kind of a conclusion and transition that we're going through at the moment actually probably pushes us more into direction of of being sort of um, almost kind of our own individuals in our own um, spaces or businesses or careers that we're building still being very much engaged in you know that brainstorming and that sort of ideation and that kind of uh, you know if i'm not sure okay what is that i need to do or get done or you know what is the, the kind of the right approach i can always talk through it with him and he kind of just helps and, and vice versa and i think that 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 element is, is really really important in a relationship and i think in a, in a, in a business relationship um and i think that's that's why a lot of businesses that actually have you know, couple of co-founders just because it's it's otherwise quite lonely and very isolating, as I mentioned, and and also quite stressful just to be by yourself in your own head if you don't have someone who is fully um, immersed in the kind of the reality that you're living every day. Um, so yeah, but who knows where we would be? Maybe I don't know. I don't, I don't know. As I said, your guess is as good as mine Indeed. or anyone else's. I guess. No, it's a it's a it's a nice answer that you gave, uh, Tanya. And I guess w- when you were speaking, it got me thinking about you know you sort of said you started this in your your early twenties, um, and there's an, another quote by by Zig Ziglar who says that you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. And I think that was a, it's a good point that you made that actually whilst you were a little bit younger, you could afford to take those risks, um even though, you know, by that time you were undergoing a, a legal, a, a formal sort of legal qualification where lawyers are typically very risk averse, you obviously were probably sort of flexing that muscle a little bit differently to perhaps the average trainee solicitor. So I guess what I'm wondering is talk to us a little bit about perhaps the skills you've learned. You sort of alluded to the point 10 years ago, you you might have been a bit more flustered about things that now you won't even bat an eyelid over. How have you really strengthened that muscle? And now what 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 could you say to people that are maybe you know quite young or you know keen to become entrepreneurs? What tips can you give them on their journey as they're starting out? To be honest, in terms of sort of building the resiliency and 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 sort of building that muscle, I don't think I don't I don't really think there is anything that can build the muscle better than actually just being in the thing and doing the thing and 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 undoubtedly you will have a lot of challenges as a, as a founder or as an entrepreneur it's 100 percent guaranteed if you don't have them then you're either lying or you're not an entrepreneur and it's just it's just it doesn't happen any other way you know ability to take risks ability to, to you know to jump in all in when actually uh the odds may not be in your favor i think that that's all that's all you know um speaks speaks for you know for 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 that kind of spirit of entrepreneurship but I think like with anything else, you know, it's, it's, it's weighing your risks. It's understanding, you know, what your, um, sort of chances of success is obviously doing your, you know, your work and your, your sort of, um, due diligence, if you'd like, on what is that you're trying to do. I think the paths are very different and people, you know, end up in kind of entrepreneurial ventures for, 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 for various different reasons. But I think for me, it was, 
it was the freedom that it just gave me to, you know, to, 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 to some extent, um, spend my most precious commodity, uh, which is time in the way that I, I like and the way that I want. Um, and I don't think it's, it's the money element of it. I think it's uh, the ability to structure your life the way you want it to. Um, money, of course, is a, is a, is a, is a very important part of it. Um, but, but, I, but I think there's a lot of people that fall into the trap of thinking, well, actually, if I'm an entrepreneur, um, you know, I, I, I can be sort of independent and I'll run my own shop. But in reality, they get into a point where, you know, they fundamentally slave to the business that they've created. And if you, you know, you, you sort of the way I will always look at it is what, what is my kind of, you know, what, what, what is my hour cost? Because my hour is something that I will never get back. Um, and what is the opportunity cost? Um, you know, something that I'm doing that I don't like or something that is not going to yield the rewards that I want. Uh, what else I could have been doing uh, during that time? And I think we, as people overall, um, we, we treat our time as a kind of a, you know, never-ending commodity and it's just going to be there. And, you know, there's going to be another day, there's going to be another month and, the, you know, the, the environment will be um, better at some point and that's why I'm going to make a, a jump. You know, it's, it's it, there is never a perfect time and maybe it sounds, sounds banal, but it's almost like just just kind of jump into it. And actually it's it's almost like you're sort of, in your head you might be afraid, but as the hands are doing kind of what you're doing, it's kind of, you, you just you just work through things. And and I think that the, the key important thing is, is finding the, the right um, tools um, for yourself, knowing yourself very well, how to manage the emotional um, ups and downs that undoubtedly anyone would have going into sort of something that is unpredictable and is full, full of full of ups, but certainly full of downs as well. Mm. And if you can, as a as a as a budding entrepreneur, find that balance, I think that will give you a massive sort of um, you know upper hand in in going through these sort of um, low low kind of points. Um, and and perhaps it might be you know something uh, again we didn't invent anything greater than a kind of a typical things that people talk about you know whether it's workouts whether it's meditation whether it's uh, you know scripting whether it's um i don't know spending time with your family loved ones listening to the music whatever that might be that one can do regularly and one can sort of see um that kind of practice make them a lot more emotionally um sort of stable is not the right word balanced yeah emotionally uh, balance yeah. that that helps enormously and I must say you know I've I've um, myself sort of been discovering I think we we all probably discovered for our entire life it's never like you never achieve a perfect and then you just stay there it's always it's always a bit of like ups and downs right you know you, you're working your your kind of workout routine and it works very really well and then something happens and you sort of stop doing it so it's, it's about sort of maintaining that kind of continuity but you know for me I found that workout is essential uh, you know, maintaining my, um, you know, food kind of balance of what I eat and how I eat is really, really important. Um, it all comes down to sort of mental um, sort of, uh, you know, place you're in and how can you, you know, quieten your mind when you need to or sort of energize it when you need to. Um, and, and, and trying to, again, trying to sort of balance that drive for perfection in many ways and 
just need to get things kind of done and better done than perfect um and and, and you know balance many things so i think i think you know we we all are as individuals in today's world probably are bombarded by you know that kind of image of perfection perhaps women more than men you know you have to you have to have a career you have to have a you know business you have to have a family you have to be a perfect mother you have to be a perfect wife you have to have an amazing social um sort of uh, calendar, you know, you need to go and do tra- so, so there's so many, I guess, um, external factors that, that, that are drummed into our heads and expectations, um, uh, as well as expectations of our own, I think. Um, and I think for me, that's always been an issue. I think it's more of my own demands of myself as opposed to actually anyone else demanding it. Uh, and being able to like shut that up and down and just put it out and actually just, just stop trying to be um you know perfect and everything i think is is really really important um so i've i've um you know i've been sort of exploring with what what works for me what doesn't actually come across this um this book uh by um I, oh gosh i can't remember the name i'm really afraid. but it's called miracle morning um and to be honest as much as it's sort of very simple in its um kind of application it, it does work for me it's something that i've sort of got gal to do as well and, and we've been doing it for quite some time now but it's in essence basically invites you to you know wake up as early in the morning as possible obviously as having two toddlers a toddler and a baby and uh, that's not really a problem you know we're most of the time up between sort of 4 30 and 5 30 most mornings but the nice thing is if we can then do sort of it's it's almost kind of like a few step uh routine so you know you meditate um you sort of um have be practicing affirmations you're practicing um uh, you know sort of what well, you're doing a bit of reading um you're doing you know a workout if you can fit that in you know you may be doing a bit of scribing um and and you're doing a bit of visualization and the thing is like it can be as easy as one minute for each so it's like six minutes and workout it doesn't have to be kind of the full workout but it can be you know 10 minutes uh, of just getting your heart rate up but actually it does it does do something amazing to to the whole sort of holistic um i don't perception of how how do you go about with your day what what bothers you what doesn't and and i think if you learn meditation i found that it's actually really um really good from a perspective of how you then deal with a lot of things in your real life uh is about how you deal with those moments of quietness when you sit there and there's like millions of thoughts that are in your head and if you go for that sort of approach how it's being taught so i use headspace for example for that and there's like different pro levels one two three four five and i think they take months to complete if you really want to complete them all and they're kind of very repetitive but the amazing thing is like the more you do that the more sort of the genuinely the better you become and, and they teach you different techniques um and then you kind of take these techniques and pro- probably try to apply them in kind of day-to-day and and what i really like as a as a uh, like um, um, um kind of a, a, a not comparison but sort of the 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 stories that um one of the co-founders of headspace um was speaking about is you know this sort of thinking and entrepreneurship it's super applicable i think is um think about the a gray day you know this really big gray clouds in the sky um and you're sort of thinking really down you're like feeling really down and you're thinking oh this is a really horrible weather but one thing you should always remember is that there is always that blue sky above. So it's almost like when you take 
you know when you when you when you take off and you know in, in, in flight and you go above the clouds there's always that blue sky and i think that that sort of concept of you know there might be the clouds in whatever's that you do today but there's always that blue sky and kind of thinking about it i think it does give you perspective so small things like that i think they inevitably help so i think finding that balance is is really really important Oh, that's a great point. I, that was a bit more holistic than I was expecting you to, to speak about in this podcast. So thank you. That was, Those were really good tips, actually, for people. Um, and I guess it sort of means it's sort of a case of you staying true to yourself and never letting someone else distract you from your goals, because I think you were obviously very focused. You've had to develop, obviously, a lot of resilience, as you were talking about, um, and practicing stillness of the mind uh, which I think is interesting and you, you mentioned about waking up really early um, and it's certainly something I spoke about on another podcast um, picking up from the point about Robin Sharma's um, Think Like a Monk and 5am club he talks a lot about the most successful people rising early and having a routine much like you described in sort of short bursts and the potency of that sort of intention that just leads you very nicely into your day so that's that's really interesting that you and Gal have adopted that and I'm sure you've found that to be a bit of a game changer I can imagine especially now with the two the two little ones no it's certainly it's certainly um you know it's certainly something that we try to stick to on kind of daily basis and as, as I said you know we anyways are up really early on since since um our um elder son Nathaniel came around about three years ago so it's uh it's just something that you I guess you find whether it works for you or not. Um, um, I, I'm sure it may not work for others, but it kind of worked for for us. So, no, that's so, yeah, great. Sort of keeping up with that. Wonderful, wonderful. And and so going back um to sort of the entrepreneurial journey, because I really want um our listeners to to see uh, or get a sense of the incredible achievements that you and Gal have have had. I mean, talk to talk to us a little bit about you know obviously you started off with that one. Um, property that you bought and you refurbed and then you sold it and that was really the start of this massive sort of um, company that you've gone on to found and there's lots of different branches within it and then obviously it's led to Uncommon so talk to us a little bit about that journey and what what the spectrum of offerings that G&T offered and then sort of leading on to Uncommon. Sure Um, so from that from that first lab that we refurbished we've we've sold it um, quite well actually and all the sort of profit that we, we've made we reinvested into our second project which was a slightly bigger apartment and then after that one we reinvested it into another apartment um, and then some our clients um, eventual clients started coming forwards and saying oh we love what you guys do would you do something for us as well so we started creating projects for other people and we sort of provided a very much a holistic sort of um, um, offering of, of, of really designing more of that um, experiential real estate as opposed to just purely okay this is you know brick and mortar refurbished it and, and, and kind of done so we we very much focused on um, how the property would view and it's phenomenal that's I think where my whole interest um, sort of started um, to do with with psychology and sort of behavioral psychology that um, I find fascinating how it would literally make it or break it, um, how the viewing goes uh, for a property, depending on sort of those small elements um, that might not seem important, but actually they are, you know, the, the smells, the lights, the music that plays, the, um, you know, the, the warmth, that the temperature. And, and I've learned that really well when we were doing 
um, show homes uh, for sale. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, the, 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 the amazing thing would be um, we would spend basically 99% on buying the property, refurbishing the property and, you know, getting everything in to the property from sort of, um, you know, the, the backbone systems and, and electrics and m and etc. And we, then we would spend 1% on, uh, you know, some accessories and, and, and flowers and candles and the setting the table up mm. and, and putting nice cushions. And the funny thing is that, that that 1% that would get us that extra price and we've tried and tested it so many times that it was just phenomenal. So from a perspective of a buyer, when they come into the property, they are completely and fully guided by their senses. There is very little logics that actually comes with it. Uh, so, so that's something that we've learned through through um, selling selling high end you know, flats, apartments, houses. So after the, the the eventual flat we then had by accident, we were introduced um, to to a, a a future investor who uh, was a, a Malaysian. A Malaysian individual who came to see one of our properties and he loved what we did and he said oh actually you know what I'm looking to invest in London would you guys help me with it so we did a development management um, uh, sort of um, instruction for him and developed two beautiful houses in, in Islington which became um, very much sort of uh, you know the, the, the central focal point of um, of, of the um, it was a great listed um a beautiful beautiful two houses that then subsequently sold really really well so so kind of one thing led to another quite quite organically um but it but it but it was all focused um around beautiful photography beautiful um finishes in terms of sort of curation of the look and the feel and how it all impacted it i i i love with gal when i said um um you know we, we developed one one flat and we um had a sofa um, in that flat, which was delivered to us from an Italian manufacturer and it was a really high quality sofa. But we're talking now probably about eight, nine years ago when the screens weren't particularly as, I guess, great as now and, and the materials that you would um, pick from the screen, you, you really couldn't see the color. So I sort of took a risk and I chose a color of the sofa from the screen. And the sofa that arrived, uh, instead of being that kind of neutral beige sort of a silverish kind of tone arrived in this really bright copper gold color and I was devastated because it was a super expensive um, sofa and it, it literally took us 10-12 weeks to get it delivered so I was thinking my goodness me now if I have to reorder it's just it's just going to take ages so in this very very nicely uh, neutral flat we put this like super golden sofa and you would not believe property just wouldn't sell at all. People literally would refer to it as golden sofa flat. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's how maybe shallow to some extent we are as individuals when we come to, um, you know, to see spaces because we just absorb it through, you know, dimension and a number of dimensions, not just through sort of a very logical um, senses. And yeah, we, we changed that sofa and the flat was literally gone basically within two weeks. It, it was just phenomenal how, you know, how, how that whole um, sort of effect was. So that's that the behavioral psychology that I got really excited about. And then uh, we bought a building. And as I said, like we basically were, were kind of building up the network of investors and investors reinvested with us many, many times. And, um, you know, we bought um, a building um, in the heart of Islington, hybrid Islington, uh, which was meant to be 20 flats. Um, 19 flats at the time and basically uh, planning permission we couldn't get the, the right planning permission you know to cut a long story short so 
we ended up having to um, to reposition an existing office building, which was meant to be 19 flat center and different office building. Um, and we're talking sort of 2014, uh, I think that that's more or less um, the, the sort of flexible office spaces were not really um, high on the agenda. Uh, we took an inspiration of an office we were at the time um, having an office ourselves and kind of thought, you know, there's nothing we can do. We need to do something with the building or we're just literally, we're literally going to default on, 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 on finance. Um, so very quickly we took possession, we refurbished it um, very, very cheaply again and sort of creating a, um, sort of countertops from pallets of wood and um, using, using wallpaper um, uh, made out of uh, black and white um, photo um, copiers, screens of uh, Vogue magazine and kind of gluing it on and, and basically just refurbishing just for it to look more or less presentable. Um, to our amazement, we opened the doors. So it took us about sort of a couple of months to get 75% uh, of the building fitted out. We're talking it's about 20,000 square foot building. Uh, and then within 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 a few months, literally a couple of months, we were full. And we were full with budding businesses, entrepreneurs, small startup companies that uh, wanted flexible space that was funky, cool. They, they didn't want to commit to a long, a long term um uh, contracts as kind of traditional lease leasehold spaces would require um and that was really that was really the revelation because we realized okay great resi's residential real estate development is excellent but from business perspective you invest a lot of your capital up front you take a lot of risk uh you obviously wait 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 until it refurbished then you sell and you never see the property again uh and you have you hope to make a make a profit where with this business, you know, you put a lot of capital up front, um, you refurbish it, and then you start to generate income because people just renting it out and they, you know, they, they, the yields, the return on your money are uh, exceptionally much better than could have been achieved in sort of a traditional leasehold environment where you would just lease it for five, 10 years. So, you know, we were basically making three times the amount of pound per square foot to a traditional normal office in the same location. So um, that's really how it kind of all came about. Uh, and then we very quickly repositioned our sort of thinking, okay, this is actually an opportunity. Let's go and try fundraise some, some money for that, uh, which we did. And uh, we've had, you know, we, we've run our sort of own roadshow, if you like, and we went and approached uh, key um, institutional uh, private equity real estate um, firms at the time, we're talking sort of 2016. Um, and then we had an offer from Three of them, in fact, uh, and one of them was specifically um, specifically appealed to us because of the team and um, how they were set up and, and and sort of overall kind of fit, I guess, that we felt at the time was 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 right for us. Um, so the Carlisle Group came on board as our key investor, and um, from that point onwards, um, so them together with the Blackstone, um, we've acquired. Uh, basically, from that point, one building plus another four, so five buildings um, all together, and we've we've tenfold the platform, so from twenty thousand square foot to to two hundred fifty thousand square foot over a period of of five years, um, and that's really really how it all kind of um, catapulted, if you like. So we've we've built building up to building. Was hybrid sector was the first one that we opened and borrow. Uh, location which was about 25,000 square foot and then we bought um, opened up Fulham location which was about similar size and then followed by Liverpool Street which was just under um, under 45,000 square foot um, and then we bought Holborn 
um, location, which is uh, the largest site to date, uh, is about 100, 150,000 square foot gross. So um, almost kind of doubling the, the size of the, of the building every time that we that we bought. And, and that's fundamentally was mostly driven from, um, you know, the performance that the business was showing, the, the uptake rates, the, you know, the, the, the cash flows, the um, fundamentally making investors comfortable that, you know, we're delivering our business plan. Amazing. Uh, and that's really how it all, how it all happened. Um, so here we are in 2021. <laughs> Fantastic. And I mean, you know, it, hearing you recall, you know, recall that story just shows you, I mean, you've, you've been very nonchalant about it, but it was a huge undertaking and you had worked, you'd worked day and night to, to get it off the ground. And I'm sure people might be wondering as they're listening, I mean, to have Carlisle and, and Black, Blackstone as investors joining, I mean, that's, that's no mean feet how did you and obviously the language you use now is much more swatted up than someone in their early 20s how how did you you know a develop that know-how and knowledge about the industry but also how did you both develop the contact list because I think a lot of people perhaps might have a great idea but they don't necessarily have the right contact so how did you guys go about building that because I think that's a really important point sure to be honest, I think I think the contact list is an interesting point because we didn't have any introducers. Usually, how real estate sort of works in many many instances like like this one, you would have an introducer, you would have someone running your sort of roadshow if you'd like. Um, we were very simplistic about it. Um, we just went out, printed the top you know fifty uh, private equity real estate companies out there, and we just started contacting every single one. And in today's world, through LinkedIn, social media, Google, uh, you can get two numbers, um, phone numbers, and email addresses of probably most individuals mm. um, if you really want to. And that's how we really approach it. So we just started approaching people directly, and we had loads of no's, well, loads of non responses at all, quite a few no's, and very few yeses compared to obviously the list that we kind of approached. Um, but funny enough, the yeses were from, from the larger ones, the more, uh, funny enough, some, some people that you would probably expect less of an interest uh, than more. So somehow, somehow for us, it was slightly different. Um, and then it's just a matter of meeting these people and, and selling them the, the, the idea for us. Uh, the benefit that we could show was, um, we had a, a trading existing business that was performing and was showing something. It wasn't just the idea. Yeah. Um, you know, if we came to them earlier and we said, oh, you know, we, we have this idea, we want to open this office, they kind of would say to us, oh, guys, you know, this is really not the right, uh, the right environment. But not to mention that, you know, Carlisle uh, by themselves, they were investor number four in that business. So before that, there was a first, if you'd like, pre-seed, seed, uh, you know, series A, if you want to call it that way, obviously in real estate, there isn't such a thing as, as, as um, in, you know, in tech startups. Um, but, but Carlisle came on board and bought out investor number four. So the first investor came on board and helped bootstrap um, was, was one of our investors who we then managed to sort of buy out and another investor came on board, then third investor came on board and then eventually, and that's all we're talking all within sort of a space of, you know, of, of sort of couple of years, uh, Carlisle came on board and then in real estate again, it works slightly differently uh, because it's asset, asset sort of focused business as opposed to uh, corporate focused business, the, the, the holding structure was, was slightly different. So 
Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like we build a building and, and, and we also needed the funding to, to build the building in the first place. So, um, so that's, you know, that's not, not to underestimate that there's obviously initially need to perhaps build that network of friends and family that able to, to, to give you that sort of startup capital that can help you, um, prove the concept, show that the, what you can do. And from that point onwards, you can then go and, and explore a bigger um, capital providers out there. Um, and that's fundamentally what, what we did. But actually, when it comes to reaching the people, I don't think it's 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 as hard. I think you just need to, I just think you just need to have a courage and a conviction and a good pitch deck, and you need to do your homework, um, and you, you need to be able to just go out there and and do it. Um, and, and as I said, many people entertained a meeting, um, which I'm eternally grateful because actually the more people you meet, the more they help you polish your, um, your, your, your pitch because they ask you questions and the questions tend to be exactly the same across the board, uh, just because people tend to obviously want a clarification around specific elements. So, you know, very well what you're going to be asked and, you know, by the time you're sitting in the fifth pitch, you you're pretty confidently pitching what, what you what you've sort of um, um, kind of designed designed to, to talk about. Um, so from that perspective, I think you just need to use initiative. And at the moment, depending obviously what industry one would look at um, and one would launch the business. But uh, you know, Crunchbase as an example is is like phenomenal resource. There's so many resources out there. Um, you know, PRE um, for real estate or Prequin for real estate. Um, it, it's just there's just so much information out there that isn't expensive, um, is available, and it's just a matter of you know you just you just kind of can can, can do what you want if you, if you really want it. Brilliant. No, thank you, Tanya. And I mean, you sort of mentioned that the the one um, the nineteen flats that sort of didn't happen, but you you started uh, essentially what was uncommon. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, obviously we've all gone through the pandemic, we continue to live in the pandemic and the future of work, um, which is obviously a big topic and I really wanted to speak to you about it because I think you'll have quite a unique lens because obviously that's your business. But um, obviously we know that the traditional day in the office has changed, the future is likely going to centre much more around this adaptive workplace fluid model offering employees greater flexibility where they can work from wherever they feel that they're going to be most productive um, and I guess empowering them to deliver better performance for their employers so I'm curious to know kind of this whole um, gig economy growing adoption of technology how, how where do you see kind of the future of work based on sort of what you've done to date and I guess with the lens of COVID Sure, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. I think we all went um, being in sort of real estate, uh, flexible office space, and in real estate generally, office space went for an unprecedented um, eighteen months that I think nobody could have predicted at all. And I, I can't stop thinking of one um, potential investor that I was talking to, who asked me, Tanya, if you were to think about a, an event uh, that could happen that can potentially wipe out your business, what would it be? And that question I, I was asked around sort of January 2020. So we're talking two months away from the pandemic. And there was some obviously noise about, about China and having the COVID, um, and, and, but, but certainly not in any way, shape or form really taken seriously in Europe. 
And in life of me, I could not have thought about something like that happening at all, uh, literally two months prior. And I remember that investor asking me that question so many times, um, you know, since then, uh, that it's almost like if he knew uh, what, what, what's about to come. Um, to be honest, the, 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 the sector, subsector of real estate that we um, set up the business in, in, in the flexible offices, I think is something that will thrive out of um, commercial office sectors out there. I think there is, um, and, and we've been speaking about it now for a long time, so I feel like it's a, it's kind of a topic that I've spoken so much on that it's like, it's like old news. Um, five years ago, six years ago, we were talking about you know, well buildings and biophilia and good lighting and good air and ergonomic seating and, and music and making sure that there is um, good, good quality um, filtration systems and uh, you know well-being for employees, etc. So, so we've sort of were um, you know we were pioneers in in maybe um, speaking about elements that only have now come to everyone's attention. Now everyone is doing biophilia. Now everyone is talking about well air uh, filtration, etc. Because COVID fundamentally accelerated the trends so much. Something that probably would have taken another five years or maybe even ten years happen over sort of a, a period of, 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 a, of a year, 12 months mm. or 18 months. So I think from, from that perspective, you know, we, we had a, a good, um, I guess, gut uh, feel um, and, and just force, foresight or, or, or some sort of ability to see what, 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 what is to come uh, and perhaps being led by our generational demands and changes and what we appreciate as, as um, employees, um, who are looking for a job and you know we, we we clearly could see how how our offices uh, at uncommon are being used as a tool to attract the best possible quality talent because talent doesn't just care about how much money they're going to get paid they do also want to make sure that they have a very very good conducive and and um, supportive working environment where they can thrive and they can have all their sort of uh, work as well as non-work related um, elements being addressed, you know, whether it's meditation pods or whether it's uh, time, to, uh, you know, places to go and unwind or places to go and grab a coffee and, and feel like you can you can have a formal and informal meetings and this whole idea of sitting at your desk, uh, you know, eight till eleven and, and thinking that you can do absolutely everything in the format of sitting at your desk uh, is completely not true and and, and more so, uh, we we went into again that behavioral psychology of how do we create spaces that help with different tasks at hand um, because it's it's completely counterproductive to try to be productive in an open plan office when you sit at your desk and you have millions of people chatting around you and you're thinking my goodness man i just can't concentrate at all um, so you end up you know plugging your ears with headphones and, and actually when you realize you can go somewhere away sit in a quiet pod and, and nobody disturbs you nobody comes and taps on your shoulder or wants to give you a pat on the back or wants to distract you because the, the truth is the way we work at the moment is or have been until COVID um, between desk interruptions and meetings in the meeting rooms and everything in between and callers you basically end up spending 60-70% of your time switching between things and, and, and being completely d d disconnected from what you're trying to achieve and probably only 30% working in it because before you know it it's already lunch and after lunch, you're about to have, you know, a, a sugar dip. So, you know, you're kind of sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, may I really feel like a nap? 
And then by the time you recover, you think, oh, actually, now I can now get a coffee. You go get a coffee. And I'm not saying everyone works like that, but I do think there is a lot of people, a lot of people that work like that. So, so I think what we did really, really well at Uncommon is we created environments that genuinely um, help individuals thrive. And that, that's very much a part of the ethos of the, of the business, um, help individuals thrive. And to be honest, 18 months of COVID was, was a fantastic indicator that regardless of um, our short-term nature of contracts with our clients and uh, volatility in the market and people not really having any certainty, the business performed really, really well. And in 2020, we managed to hit our pre-COVID budgets, which, you know, team worked so hard on and, and we were super proud to achieve. And then 2021 came, uh, 2021 came when that kind of all started to, you know, very slowly get back to kind of normal, but because of uncertainty again, it, it kind of took a little bit of time. Um, so I think, I think, you know, going, going forwards and, 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 and as uncommon as currently, I think this is genuinely the, and, and that's fundamentally what we're seeing already um, with, with the sectors, this is the format of office space that will be the only format that will exist in the future. And if before I, I, I was sort of saying, well, this is, you know, the, the, there's different ways, maybe this can be traditional. I am convinced that from the office space that will stay, this is going to be the only way that um, occupiers will occupy the space. Having said that, um, a lot of traditional landlords that have been now having you know decades and decades of income from very, very long leases um, already started to appreciate, okay, there is some disruption coming on, I know what's happening, but they kind of like, okay, it's a bit of noise. You know, we're talking about 5% of the market is flexible, the rest is actually traditional. But now the kind of the game is, is changed completely. So everyone is now, you know, the, the, the eyes is on the price. We have to be flexible, we have to be experiential. We have to do everything that we said needs to be done five years ago. And as a result, obviously, that does impact competition. That does impact um, how hard you need to work to stand out there, how much you need to do to, to be different. Uh, and if before it was, um, you know, not say easier, but it was, it was less common. Now it is, it is, it is, it is becoming more common, and and as a result, um, you know, inevitably this drives this drives and impacts on, on on prices eventually when you have so much um, offering out there. And, and 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 I guess another another question is what is the long term effect of um, something like COVID on businesses choosing to um, to fundamentally become, you know. Mm-hmm not office space, but decentralized elsewhere um, and use office space more as a place to meet and greet and and um, get the team together, but actually more employees prefer to work from home. And I think that's a very interesting topic um, that that um, anyone, any business will have to consider, um, especially especially real estate business. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, when you were talking about um, being the hardest worker in the room because you have got a bit of competition um, I think that's a big part to your success, isn't it? Because you've always been very, very hardworking. So I'm sure that you'll find a new way of, of keeping keeping the business afloat and what's obviously a competitive type, exactly with that dichotomy of actually people have had 18 months of largely working from home, um, particularly if you know they, they've been doing a role that, that enables that. And uh, I think a lot of people have got very used to it. And I, I genuinely, personally, don't understand how we ever did five days in an office um it genuinely escapes me and I really like working from home and so I'm very productive so I definitely can see 
the workplace shifting but I also can see people shifting back into old habits thinking that the office is where we need to be to have face-to-face meetings when I don't feel like that's the lesson learned I think you enable people to do what they need to do and you don't discriminate whether you're in the office or you're in a we work or you're in an uncommon location or you know you're in the office it's all valid and we're all doing something important um but I think it's more what the output is so I I, I think it's a very interesting time I'm, I'm I guess I'm curious to know kind of on that home working space I mean obviously that's going to be a big one to to maybe shift it would be my thinking what what do you think in that people are you know we've got our snacks in our fridge and you know we know know, everything works and you know you don't have a commute and I mean do you not that must be a real problem for you surely you must be seeing that in the trends that that you've been working out over the last 18 ish months absolutely to be honest um as a as a sort of a more recent development um I've been working remotely for quite some time now, and that some of it was led obviously by the pandemic, and then later on, um, the the sort of the the, um, the decision was made to to actually make um, kind of relocate myself and my family to a place that is a bit more child friendly from sort of a um, temperature perspective and climate perspective. And, um, you know, it coincided also with uh, me stepping down as a CEO of Uncommon and, you know, we, we managed to build a fantastic team um, and the guys um, kind of took the, 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 the whole, I guess, ethos and, and the vision forwards and, and, and are doing a fantastic job. So that allowed me to, to step away and focus on some other things that I wanted to focus on. Um, and, and more recently, sort of last kind of six months, I mostly have been working remotely. Um, in in building kind of the the you know the the new venture that I'm I'm currently working on, um, I must say for someone who is um, or who you know fully um, used to only um, fundamentally make a living from um, something that is real estate is brick and mortar is very physical to get to a point where actually. I am a massive um, fan of remote working, um, and it is you know there's absent pros and cons for, for 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 both sides of it. But the amount of things that I'm able to get done, um, and the amount of people that I can reach that I could never reach before in a relatively short period of time is phenomenal. And that's something um, you know not to discount the fact that that still the human relationship. Uh, element is 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 vital and needs to be worked on, needs to be built on. But I do believe that there is just a different format that how it can be done. I personally don't believe that relationships are formed at the water cooler. I really don't. Um, you know, I I again, as I said, I'm a big fan of behavioral psychology, and I worked in massive floors and floors of um, big corporations where uh, you have hundreds of people sitting on a single floor. And there are no physical barriers, but it's only people that you work with that you actually ever talk to. And it's like a team of, you know, 20, 25 people, but literally someone who sits next to you, but it's not necessarily on your team. You don't even talk to them. You don't even say, you know, anything beyond good morning in the elevator. You don't know their name as much as, and, and fundamentally the question is really, do you really need to? Is there really a much difference of me sitting on sixth floor at Alan Novry working for uh, an international arbitration um, team 
and the guy sitting on the third floor who are working for tax uh, team that, that we work on the same matter, but we never, never meet each other. We're in the same building, right? And 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 that's 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 case in point. You don't need to necessarily meet and and physically people don't meet. This is this is the the, the reality of it even pre-COVID. So the fact that we've now got loads of tools that are able to connect us in a in a quite a um, so I I've got experience working for large corporates sitting in single floors of hundreds of people on that floor and not really talking to someone who sits just next to you but just outside your team so you know the the the, the big um places physicality don't necessarily help with probably that communication uh, or connection building if, if that's required and so many times i would sit on the sixth floor working for international arbitration team where third floor would be taxed and you would never even see each other. You would talk on the phone or via email, but you you might sometimes not even know how the person looks apart from the avatar that they have and the photo that they have on the internal system. So I, I just genuinely do not think that the physical proximity is all on the only or the, the, the only way fundamentally to build a relationship or good working relationship. If anything, I am I would say even more that I do think that um, remote work in many ways avoids um, some potential office politics that may not necessarily be very healthy and get people to get their stuff done um, or just worrying oh is my face time on the day is okay am i leaving my jacket on the back of my chair and my lamp is on um, and, and all that kind of stuff so and again it's not for everyone and i totally accept that but it certainly works for me and i can certainly see how um, amazing it is that people are working from all sorts of different locations um, and 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 it's something that I could not never believe could be possible you know I, we, we sort of we, we didn't have the amount of uh, tools and the types of tools that are available today that have been literally developed in the last sort of 18 24 months because we just had to somehow keep working and it's it's very very physical um, elements of being present in the room being able to brainstorm something being able to put something on the on the board being able to, you know, to 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 um, sketch and, and and kind of had to have that world in the room um, to, to be able to collaborate. But I do think there are so many different tools. And and what I love about it is when you ask someone for a meeting, when you're trying to make something happen, it's a matter of do you have time this week? Yes, I can meet you tomorrow, or I can meet you today, or I can meet you the day after tomorrow. It's really rarely when people tell you, oh, you know what? Why don't we meet in two weeks time? Because in this digital format, it's almost like, well, I don't want to meet you at all, right? Because it's really, really unlikely that you're not going to be able to find any time for me, at least in the next sort of week, right? Hence, the availability and things happening faster are happening faster. And I'm a great adopter of that in the, in the way how I work now. Uh, and I see many teams adapting it. And I do think that there is, there is a, a, a big um argument i guess uh, for decentralized teams teams that are completely location agnostic that are uh, allowing their employees to work from wherever they want to work from um, completely irrespective of where they're from what language they speak what um you know color that their skin is what sort of uh, background that they have as long as they have the skill set and the knowledge and the ability to contribute towards the the, the, the product or the business or whatever else that one is building, 
And I think it actually creates so many different opportunities um, for people, because why would I want to live in a cramped, um, small little place in central town or near central town um, where property prices are through the roof? If I actually can live wherever I want, technically, and can be as nomadic as I want and get the most benefits of beautiful weather and beautiful temperature, and I can assure you, uh, this is something that money cannot buy. And that's why I'm a big believer that, you know, you can be living in, in a beautiful city center in a European capital, but the weather is never going to be as great as somewhere else. So it is a luxury that I guess um, something that, that never has been available to anyone before. And, and if before, you know, I was saying, I love to be able to, to, to spend my time, my, my, my most precious commodity in the way that I like, uh, I think that it is now available to a lot more people um, that don't necessarily have to be entrepreneurs. Um, they, they can work on a, on a, on, you know, in, in a business, in a company, and if a company, in my view, is um, you know, forward-thinking enough, they will be mistakenly thinking that they have to bring all their employees back. And I'll be very honest, I see a lot of big corporations, banks, sort of say, you know, employees back um, five days a week, you have to be at your desk because otherwise we can't work, we can't learn. Well, they cannot be controlled. It's probably a lot, a lot more difficult to control when you have, you know, when you have hundreds and thousands of people. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I totally, totally appreciate that it's probably a matter of size. But it, it, it will impact on the quality of, of, of team that these types of institutions will attract because I'm a big believer we're not going back. I think 18 to 24 months is long enough to get you into a habit that is a habit that's 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 beyond a habit you know if you did it for three months maybe six months it's kind of just a matter of oh, i'm happy to be back but in 24 months you already sort of learn new ways and you don't even remember how it was before and as much as i hear people going back to the office um i do see a lot more people across my screen working from the most amazing locations don't get me wrong and doing the most amazing things um still being able to collaborate and build businesses without having met each other in physical life and have managed to develop a, a relationship and have managed to develop a, um, a, a very constructive way of working without having to think, oh, you know, who's closer to the boss and am I going to go with them for a drink? So, you know, they're going to give me a promotion and that kind of stuff. And, and again, I'm, I'm being very maybe shallow uh, and generalistic and, about it, but I do think there are, there are, there are um, many benefits, benefits to it. So I think um, some claims that I hear like, uh, I can't remember whether Google or, or whoever it was that said, oh, you know, we're going to be basically adjusting your salary depending on where you live. Yeah. I think it's complete rubbish. It's just a complete rubbish because but why why, why do you need to adjust my salary depending on where I live? Well, because your costs and expenses are different. Well, okay, but why is that your business? You know, if you're happy for me to deliver what you're happy for me to deliver, then that's that's as simple as that, right? If you're not, then you need, need to come to the office and then that, that's a simple conversation. But having this whole, I'm going to adjust your salary, is a complete nonsense and i'll be honest with you i see so many remote distributed teams that are sit in so many different parts of the world and it's fantastic to see the collaboration it's fantastic to be able to reach people that before you would have to schedule you know months in advance to be able to see or maybe even never because it was just not quite acceptable to have a zoom call uh you could as an introduction but but that probably would be about it uh for you to be able to genuinely do business you would have to build that physical relationship seeing them sort of in, interacting with them where now it's 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 different i think probably some things are better done in person 
Um, you know, but at the same time, I do think we're going to get over those sort of hard moments when, when oh, I have to have a hard conversation, I have to see you in person. Well, actually, if I never met you in person in the first place, and I worked with you now for two years, we're going to have this hard conversation on this very call, because that's just how it needs to be done. And then we're going to smile and, and move on and, 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 and work together going forward. So I think, I think it's a phenomenal um, uh, kind of amount of opportunities that are ahead of us. And I'm certainly embracing it uh, today, and I'm advocating for it. And I think, you know, coming back to Uncommon, um, this is genuinely the only type of real estate that will thrive going forward. It's because of its flexibility, because of its um, kind of the, the, the product that is built for this type of interaction so that you can get your team together when you need to. In, in places where you can collaborate and you you know when you need to uh, when it comes to the physical aspect this sort of a levels and levels and levels of open desking is just I just don't think it's going to it's just going to sustain um, and that's where I think that's where I think kind of the, the future is is really is really um, heading to I, I fully agree and I think you articulated it really well I I, I endorse everything you said and certainly feel that that industrial revolution sort of way of working, that nine to five FaceTime culture, you know, commanding that everyone gets back into the office. It's very old school, it's very regimental, and it's not in the spirit of how we should be treating people because we're human beings, not human doings. And I think employees would do very well to understand that concept and to enable and empower people because I think you do you do naturally garner the best if you trust people to to do the right thing. People I, I don't think for the most part want to shy away from doing a good job and if you're recruiting good people that will never even be a concern um so I agree just empower the people but I do think there's an there's a mental health sort of twang to that but my the way I sort of answer that away is you know if perhaps you live on your own or you you like that physical sort of uh, you would welcome that because perhaps you know you are living on your own or you know you would benefit you're that sort of personality type then go to the office but I think for those people that have that model or or are appreciative of that flexible model embrace that and enable them to do it and don't don't draw any um judgment either way just let people like let it flow and I think just let it be a very nice dance and you just work with the remote the working from home the working from a, a you know the office whatever whatever medium it is it's irrelevant so I, I I love everything you said on that I guess what I was sort of thinking about though um Tani and we've spent some time sort of exploring work and the world of work evolving and changing and I, I think that we are going to be seeing people not just in the country but like you were alluding to internationally and we'll just work very very autonomously with them but you know, you've you've travelled a lot. You've you've seen a lot. Um, talk to us a little bit about where you've drawn your inspiration from. Because again, going back to something you said a few a few minutes ago, you were right on the pulse. You know, back in twenty fourteen. You know, the way of working has only really come come to the fore more now. But you were so ahead of the the curve. Where you know, and even in the inspiration, where you know, the investors that you've had have come to see your property and you know you've got the cushions right you've got the you know the gold sofa fine that wasn't the right one but everything else was very tasteful where where do you where do you see uh, when you're creating where does the vision come from who do you draw inspiration from what do you enjoy draw inspiration from very good question very tricky question actually uh when you start thinking sort of trying to to kind of dig deeper where the inspiration come from um i think from from 
design and real estate perspective and that that sort of um, experiential environment i've always been a massive advocates for and that's also an excuse uh we would we would we would be notoriously good or bad um about going to the latest hotel openings and the latest sort of events openings restaurants whatever that might be and it did i i always uh found this as an excuse saying well this is a market research i have to go to the newest hotel uh have to be in the this newest resort because that is always tend to be way ahead uh, than we would see in our day-to-day life um, in residential context or in a, in a commercial context. And to be honest, if you look uh, sort of five, 10 years back, even five years back, the office experiential element of the office has moved on massive. It had like the leap that was made. Because if you look at kind of 10 years back, and you think, wow, this is where I would spend my basically my life between nine and six every day in this sort of dreary environment. Why? Why? Why do you even not put more emphasis on the office than home? Because yes, home is important, but you're probably consciously spending at home two hours in the morning and four hours in the evening and a couple of weekends, right? And and most of the time spend in the office. So that never really made sense to me. And I think that's why actually from from impact point of view it 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 was sort of almost like a no-brainer from commercial real estate because it's it's just something that has been lagging behind and and naturally um i think it's also the trends of of um you know of, of kids that come out of um sort of school go to university you know when i was a student and um i was i was living in halls of residence for my first year and was the most dreadful halls of residence ever it was developed in the 1960s and it was just disastrous like everything was leaking everything was horrible uh funny enough our investor the Carlisle group then we developed it thank god um that whole building and it created a really nice new uh, beautiful building but i was kind of in the cast of the of the of the generation of students that still live in pretty poor uh, accommodation and then from that point over the last sort of 15 years that just shot up so much and it just completely re re-define um, what a student accommodation is like and then students would come out of it and then they would go into into work uh, those that are used to this really really sort of um, you know comfortable and, and well designed and then we're going to go into into work and, and, and living and that's where the whole I, I think real estate um, experiential design came out and then now it's very much into you know co-live and and and, and sort of an, and then eventually into later living we're seeing so much later living that that is being impacted for it i think for me it's been always travel travel is is certainly a key element i think embracing embracing differences and being very explore explorative about what 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 else is out there Uh, i always enjoyed from from that sort of real estate design perspective always enjoyed um events like salon de mobile in milan because you see things that are happening there that are not going to be on anyone's shelves for at least a couple of years, if not, if not more. So it's just following these trends, but I think you need to, you need to enjoy it. I just enjoyed seeing it and experiencing it and kind of being part of it. And, you know, it would literally give me, um, like <laughs> hyperventilation when I would see something really beautiful and I'd be like a crazy person taking photos. And, and, you know, the first thing that I would do when I would walk into, into a hotel room, I would just tell everyone to step step away you know from my family so before they mess everything up and i'm just would take photos of details because I, I do believe it's it's a lot about detail you know anyone can build anyone can design um but there are very few that can build that experience and i think creating that experience is really important and experience is all about the detail 
Um, and there is no detail that is too small. It's genuinely no detail that is too small. And I think, I think having that uh, experiential mindset is, is really, really important. Um, and to be honest, when it comes to trends, I think some are more obvious than the others. Um, but I work um, also with with phenomenal um, team uh, that has actually been following um, me throughout sort of um, you know people that 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 I've been working with throughout my whole uh, journey as entrepreneur um, that that I've been exchanging ideas with and, and and those that have been inspired me with their futuristic vision and pretty phenomenally how they would say something today. Um, which you know only got to kind of mainstream five years later, but they could really see and 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 understand mm-hmm. and, and and envisage. And I think you also kind of learn. You you learn how to how to not predict is not the right word, but rather you learn you learn to 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 you're more in tune and being in, in and, a visionary and, and understanding. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really important. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm just curious. I mean, is there a particular, you know, a person you draw inspiration from, or you know, anyone in your, you know, you read a book or someone famous, or or just even in your own sort of circle, if there's anyone that people could learn about from? To be honest with you, there isn't specifically kind of an individual per se. I think it's it's a it's a it's a group of different people depending on on almost the, the sort of the environment we're talking about. You know, there are some people. And it's as, as simple as it can be. Um, Gal's dad, for example, he's incredibly futuristic with with some things. It's fantastic to talk to him about. He just kind of sees things, and he always was, um, you know, was saying, "Look, uh, I've always been ahead of the game. A bit too early to market. And when you're too early to market, it's also bad because nobody really understands not ready that. For it. So you want mm-hmm. to be to market just about right when it's when it's just the beginning of it, but it's it making already some sort of a noise. So. So you know he would be one of them, and and there would be um, friends that that again would always draw um, sort of my attention to specific areas, uh, whatever that might be. That that sort of I would then kind of um, almost almost develop some more understanding and, and interest. So I think it's 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 about it's about uh, that overall kind of circle of friends and family and 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 people you get influenced by and. I think reading overall is is a fantastic, um, a fantastic opportunity. Not just from a perspective of following the trends, but also understanding that perhaps some behavioral um, um, incentives, if you'd like, or or or, or traits that uh, we as human beings have. Because I am I'm a big, big believer that everything new is well forgotten old. Um, there is nothing new that we technically create is just regurgitated uh, old idea that is being presented slightly differently and obviously then taken to a different level Modernized, yeah. um, maybe by way of new technology or or way it's presented um, so i think i think um, there is that there is that element of 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 um, history perhaps and and a bit of a bit of understanding of how certain uh, things have been shaped and why they're there, and we tend to repeat what we what we have done before. It's it's pretty phenomenal, you know. We're talking about environment and and uh, sustainability. Uh, you know, I come from um, from from Eastern Europe. Uh, my parents are coming from. Uh, you know, I was born in the USSR. In fact, just in the cusp of the USSR collapse, and as a child, um, I remember really well certain things that uh, we did. Um, that in today's world are considered, you know, it's it's like 
the news of sustainability. That's what we do. We recycle, you know, we recycle bottles. We, you know, have things that actually last not two years and die, but they can last for 20 years and we don't need to get rid of them. You know, we don't buy latest fashion and we just we just actually get rid of it uh, the day we wore it and we buy something new, but actually we we buy clothes that, that, that do um, tend to, to last. And fine, probably the drivers were different. Back in the day, it was more economically driven decisions of, of, of being able to afford certain things where today it's about not being able to necessarily afford it, but rather how does that impact on the environment? So the drivers might be different, but the solutions aren't necessarily that different. Um, so I think it would be always good to see, you know, what have we done in the past? Like I remember glass um, milk bottles, uh, which was kind of part of my childhood and, and then it completely swept into carton and, 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 and plastic. Uh, and now it's all coming back and refillable, refillable cosmetics and all that stuff. It's there is nothing new about it. It's all about wrapping a, a, a well forgotten idea in a, in, a, in, a, in a different way and repositioning it. And I think there is a lot of businesses that have done really, really well and will continue to do well uh, if, if done right. I think that's a really phenomenal and clever point. No, thank you, Tanya. I guess the the last sort of question or little area that I wanted to cover with you, um, sort of a little area, it's probably now the biggest area of your life, your, your two boys, you're a mum to, to, to two little boys. And I, I'm sure people will be wondering, how has Tanya juggled all of this? How do you keep that that vigour and zest of life, which comes across so clearly in, in everything that you've spoken about, um, and and is it possible for women to have it all? You know, a successful career, uh, a happy family life, happily married. You you sort of made the reference earlier about you know there's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation, but I'm curious in your experience based on your, uh, you know, what makes you happy. Is it possible? Have you feel like you've have captured and got everything that you want in life? Good question. As as all of them. Um... I think it's a journey. It's a journey and you are on that journey every day. And there are days that you feel like, you know, you've done amazingly well. And some days you'll feel pretty rubbish um, for different reasons. I think I think a lot of it is self-driven, at least for me. I know that I'm, I'm my hardest judge and I'm my hardest um, sort of most demanding uh, individual out there. And, and I'm, I'm lucky to be surrounded by a very supportive family and and and, and friends, uh, but family first and foremost, you know, my husband who understands my, you know, crazy tendencies once in a while to be perfectionist in many ways. And he kind of tries to balance me out a little bit. Um, but I also have a very supportive um, parents that that um, came and basically out of nowhere to help when, when our first um, uh, baby was born um, and, and kind of took a massive load of, of of day-to-day um, noise that and, and and things that just need to be done away from me to, to allow me to focus on on, on things uh, that I otherwise wouldn't be able to focus. And I think this is a a, a testi- testimony testimony to 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 them really, um, and a big thank you for allowing me to do that because I think as a mum, you can never be one hundred percent sure. Uh, that that you can rely on people unless they they're your own parents. Um, how well your kids are being taken care of when they're of so course, small. Of course. So you know, I was um, crazy enough to actually go back to work um, two weeks after I gave birth to my first son. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I think upon reflection, I would have not done it again if I had a chance again. And I think it's it's something that you realize 
um, maybe later on, but it's kind of, it's a process, you know, back in the day, it was very much like, gosh, I don't have time for, for having kids. Like kids came about and you're like, okay, I'm having kids. This is amazing. But like, okay, I'm back to work and I'm back into it. And I think this is, again, there is that point of, you know, you have to be back to work. You have to, you know, kind of never take your, your hand off the poles. And again, my expectation of myself, nobody ever told me to do that. Not my, my team, not my husband, not my family, not my investors, never. In fact, you know, everyone was very supportive and kind of thinking like, you're a bit crazy, <laughs> um, you know, kind of enjoy. And probably they, they, they were a little bit older and they were a little bit more um, sort of mature in, 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 in some ways. Um, I think kids, they have a tendency, especially with the first one, they have a tendency or, or, or parents, first time parents have a tendency of decided to feel like uh, it's just a never ending um kind of baby time when the baby's small and you don't sleep very well and you just then it's just never gonna end the truth is it's actually such a short period of time when they're so tiny and they're small it's it's like it doesn't last that long it's it's a super precious moment and i found it really hard to kind of be just completely immersed in it because i i i and and i still i still don't don't get me wrong but I probably would have spent a lot more time being around as I did spend first time around. Um, so I, I had an opportunity with my second um, child to have that because he actually was born um, during um, during pandemic and it allowed me to to just be around a lot more and I enjoyed I enjoyed every moment of it. I still worked and I still had did what everything that I that I had to do and I you know again I took two full weeks off work. Uh, but actually I was back into kind of uh, being in touch with the business and everything that I had to do was being done. So, but I think that physical aspect, and I think that's also something that is really, really, really beneficial for young parents uh, in this sort of more uh, decentralized way of how we work, if you'd like. Uh, because like as a young mom, if you're breastfeeding, you know, you have to take so many different things with you and props and, and to maintain it. It's just, it's just, it's just a nightmare. Or actually if the baby is just around the corner, you know, you can be on your call, you can do what you need to do, you can then, you know, have a, a sort of keep your breastfeeding going. I, I managed to, to keep it up until quite, quite, quite long. So that was a, that was a, certainly a great highlight. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're fantastic two boys. I'm super lucky to have them. And they, they, you know, they enjoy um, hard work, um, but, but I, you know, I wouldn't have changed it for absolutely anything. And I think, um, before we sort of had kids, um, I remember speaking to some family friends and who had children. And I was thinking, gosh, or saying back, I said, oh, how, how is it possible? I haven't got time to, you know, I, I, I literally, I run the business. I, I'm out of the door at like nine, you know, latest and before nine, you know, to have a workout and get everything done. And I'm, I'm literally not back before 11 every single day. I don't have time for kids. It's just, there's just no time. And every single person that I spoke to, um, maybe a little bit older than me, was saying to me, there is never the right time to have kids, never. The same way there is never the right time to launch your own business, because you think, oh, maybe a bit later, maybe a bit this, maybe something else will happen. No, it will never be convenient. You just have to kind of go for it and just, and just think about consequences later. Uh, but the amazing thing that I found is when you do have kids, they actually balance you out um, enormously. I found that, um, or I realized that actually a lot of those like post 7 p.m. office stayabouts are completely pointless because you're actually not productive. You are not really delivering anything. You are also stressing out your team because if you're the boss, uh, they kind of have to feel like, well, they have to kind of stay around. And, you know, we've never, never drove that sort of um, 
corporate culture at Uncommon or anywhere else, but but there is a an inherent presumptions and yeah. assumptions that yeah. people just just have and. And I realized actually, you know, it's 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 so much better if you're able to to get back home well before you know the 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 sort of bath time, so you can have meal, you can bathe them, and then you can put them to sleep. And if you still need to do something, you can do that afterwards uh, and balance your life around that. That's kind of pre-COVID times, but actually post-COVID, it just allows you even those small interactions that you have with them during the day. They're around the corner. You don't, you know, see them all the time, but it's just a little cuddle. It's just, the, you know, 10 minutes um, in, in the mid morning and 15 minutes in the mid afternoon. Uh, it just changes your day. Oh, it sustains you. Yeah. Yeah. A lawyer, um, a, 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 a trademark lawyer, in fact, um, the other day, and, and she must be in her probably um, sort of late 40s, early 50s. And we were kind of uh, chatting. She, she's got three kids. That are quite a bit older than mine, um, and I was sort of telling her and sharing how I feel about COVID and what it allows me to do, and she sort of she she was she was listening to me. She said, "Oh, you know what? I wish I wish I had this opportunity when I was your age, when my kids were so young, because the truth is they stay so small for such a short period of time, so like enjoy every moment." Um, and 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 the amazing thing is, it goes against our big corporate culture. You know, you have to be in the office, play hard, work hard. I just call this complete bullshit in my very plain English. I just think it's a lot of hot air um, and the real work actually is done um, not in the way that we almost have been programmed mm. and 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 taught and retaught and reinforced that that's how work needs to be done. And I think that that's something that we as a generation um, struggle. I mean, our parents struggle by far just because they they have been kind of in that in that um, mindset for decades and decades. Though they they seem to really enjoy the work from from uh, from home element, but they probably are a lot more um, senior in the workplace and they can kind of afford to to do that. With the younger generation, it, it's it's probably that element of like, well, I'm completely shifting that focus away. But I but but I still feel like, well, but but. Am I doing what I need to be doing, or actually am I supposed to be in the office? And kind of that pressure is, is there. But I do think probably with time, as a new generation Z and, and other generations come into the workplace and become dominant, um, uh, sort of uh, uh, dominant kind of population of working working population uh, in, in in our cities and, and countries, I do think the expectations will change because they will be almost like a uh, you know. Uh, remote first approach um and that that will just be nature natural to them the same way as the, the digital natives they don't even know how it was without having an iphone um they will be the same way thinking sorry you went into the web what why why did you do that <laughs> uh, like this is really not productive so so i, I do think there is that uh, element but i don't think that the, the the physical element will disappear completely i think the physical element will still be present, it will be very important, but it will all revolve around the environment and the productivity of that environment that um, will need to be created to facilitate these face-to-face collaborations, discussions, meetings, etc. So I think real estate will will have a hard ride, I think, those that are not prepared, uh, but those that are prepared and are already doing it, I think will, will genuinely um, do really, really well. There we go. And I guess final question, I mean, it sort of leads quite nicely onto my last point about um what what's next, Tanya? 
Uh, you sort of mentioned those businesses uh, that are in real estate are, are well that are well placed and adaptive and tapped into what the world of working will need will be will do better, which which makes complete sense. But what's next for for Tanya, for GNT, for Uncommon, for you as a as a mam on this evolution? Sure, to be honest, quite quite a quite a, um, a wide variety of I guess of stakeholders in in this instance. <laughs> um, you know, Uncommon is is very much on on path to um, you know to to maintain and and further grow and improve its customer experience and making sure that it you know it retains its um, sort of flagship status um, and and very much a pioneer and very much the sort of the trendsetter. Um, and the team behind it, you know, the, the guys are doing a phenomenal job in, in, in making sure that's the case um, and, and, and seeing kind of uh, the, the, the country and, 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 and the sort of workforce recover from, from the pandemic. I think for, um, you know, for me personally, I've, um, I had an opportunity to, um, you know, to build a couple of businesses now and I've had an opportunity to, you know, to be privileged to be funded by, by superior quality of investors you know if you go anywhere and you say well i i have had and i have raised uh you know short of 400 million dollars from the likes of the carlisle group of 250 million pounds from the likes of carlisle group and blackstone um, there's not that many questions asked beyond that because it is a phenomenal track record and um you know we've built a phenomenally successful business and you know i've managed to build an excellent team and and genuinely built a team that when i stepped away the team is working the business is working and i can't you know the excitement that i have from that because i remember the days when it was you know me doing a lot of things and thinking if i step away it's just going to fall apart but with time you build you put the right people in place you put the right systems and it, it is the, the, i think that that feeling of achievement is is, is phenomenal mm. uh, and you know the, the, the track record is there obviously a no initially which which helped me as 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 i i said earlier it's, it's almost kind of ticking boxes. It's a bit of a journey. I don't think it's ever a destination, right? We, we sort of, we go through it. Um, but I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that I have, I have, I, I know that I have, and in fact, I do have um, ambitions and aspirations, and I do want to make an impact that, um, you know, something that, that will leave, um, you know, legacy maybe is a very high profile word, but something that will genuinely change the world in, in its own way, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm trying to do something uh, something completely out of the span of, you know, SpaceX and go and, and conquer Mars, but I do think there are many different things that we should be focusing on on Earth first before we go to Mars, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. Not to not to not to uh, diminish anyone's anyone's achievements. Um, so I've sort of been reevaluating. Um, you know my place in 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 that and what I can bring and what I should be focusing on and I think my kind of uh, mantra is 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 this sort of the the effect that one can have and you know it's it's I think the slight limitations of real estate is real estate tends to be really local in its impact it's relatively difficult to make a very big impact because real estate just tends to be so physical um and 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 it's it's proven um you know if you look at 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 businesses for example there's very very few businesses that are genuinely international businesses in real estate because they tend to be very localized and it's something that i've been told um many times before but i was kind of thinking well maybe you know 
you don't know anything about life, but the, the genuine truth about it is that, and, and it's not the bad thing, it's just how, how it is. And I think that that kind of led me to think, well, you know, I've done my share in real estate and, you know, there's loads and loads of exciting opportunities from, um, you know, from, from that, I'm, that I'm still part of and um, I'm pursuing. But the genuine focus is um, how can we impact millions? How can we impact billions, perhaps? And how can we maybe solve issues that are a little bit um, more um, sort of pressing than perhaps a, a bit of a kind of a nice to have? So um, the, the, the kind of, I don't want to build the anticipation, um, but, but uh, you know, I'll probably leave it at that. And, um, you know, this is a project that I've been working on for the last um, kind of six months or so. And I'm hoping um, that we can officially launch it before the end of the year um, to, to kind of have the official reveal what it would be. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Um, there's, there's loads to come, so watch the space. Um, but but just to kind of caveat is you know the the, the impact that we're trying to to to, to make um, really we're trying to kind of um, look at the, at, the, at the more of a you know change the lives of millions change the life of billions if we can uh, and that's really the aspiration which I don't or never felt that real estate probably could give me um, to you know to satisfy my cravings so that's that's me. When it comes to GMT and Gal, you know he's very much um, in pursuit um, of sort of his own um, um kind of dreams and plans he's very much into real estate and he's you know very passionate about it and working on many projects that um you know have been have been uh, sort of in, in in the pipeline so he's sort of keeping his um mind steady and pursuing you know the, the business that we have we have been building now um you know carefully over the last um kind of 10 years um, and uh, you know, there's loads of exciting, exciting um, projects that are that are on the cards. So that's that's, I guess, what I meant that our sort of paths slightly from business perspective, uh, not diverge, but we 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 try to kind of uh, assign our own mm. our own sort of um, um, paths into that business while still being very much you know involved in kind of that brainstorming and 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 advisory capacity to each other almost, um, but actually. Uh, almost seeing ourselves as kind of individuals um, as opposed to one uh, in in the business and actually it never it not not always it, you know played very well in many instances but sometimes it didn't um, uh, you know from a perspective of, of of you being considered as one where in fact you're not one you're two um, and and um, sometimes the dynamic of a husband and wife team and a business may not necessarily impact positively on perceptions and the world is a lot about the perceptions so mm. i think we're you know we're sort of working thinking going through a lot of a lot of um exciting exciting changes and i'm i'm really excited to to just direct my attention to something that i probably never done before um i didn't know much about um you know even not that long ago we're talking kind of a year ago i didn't really know much about it uh, but what I love about it is, uh, you know, you can learn anything and everything, kind of absorb yourself into that knowledge and uh, into that environment. And suddenly you sort of start seeing things that you've never noticed before. And that's that's a phenomenal element, I think, of it. Um, so so it's it's shifting your focus and 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 learning and, and probably putting yourself up for challenge, uh, because actually traveling the path of least resistance is always the easiest. Mm. One. Uh, but I think the way I'm always thinking, you know, some people think about it. Oh, what if I fail? Or what if this doesn't work out? Or what if, 
or what if I don't know, I, 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 this doesn't succeed. I kind of think about it slightly differently. I'm thinking about it as a, but what if it does succeed? Like, what if it does work out? Like, what if, what if I, I will be successful in what I'm doing? I mean, can you imagine what an upside this can be? And I think this does help because sometimes, you know, inevitably you wake up at night and think, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Uh, you know, is this, is this the right thing? And, you know, hey, we have your own doubts. You have your own kind of gray sky clouds uh, when you, when you think about it and you have your sort of points of like, I'm not sure. Um, but I think that thought of, you know, there is always the blue sky and what if it does work? Absolutely. Um, then the, you know, the impact is, is it can be, can be really phenomenal. I couldn't have said it more beautifully. And actually, um, there's a lovely quote by, uh, Estee Lauder, cause you're so glamorous and I was going to end on it, but you, you say kind of beat, beat me to the post, but, um, she says, I never dreamed about success. I worked for it. And I, I feel like that literally cap encapsulates what you were talking about. The what if it does work out? Um, and actually, it's such a positive go-getting mentality, which I certainly observed um, in you when we were, you know, reading law at, at university. So, you know, it's nothing short of phenomenal what you have personally achieved, what you both have as individuals and collectively. And I think, you know, you've got a beautiful family unit, which I can tell with the very philosophical, very philosophical and thoughtful approach that you've answered that you're going to raise those boys with with such good grace and I think they'll also be very lucky to sort of see what you both have achieved and, and who knows sort of they might carry it on and you know it, it's very exciting I think you've, you've you've really answered this so beautifully and it's been such a attaching sort of few hours that we've sort of been able to speak so thank you um the only other thing I was gonna no, that's very kind. I was just going to say, you mentioned a few things that perhaps I'll put in the the link when we share, which was about sort of, you mentioned about sort of behavioural psychology and sort of that you're a fan of books. So I'm sure that people who've listened would absolutely love to know perhaps some of the best books that you've read and maybe a few books, if you don't mind, maybe sharing with us. Um, But we can sort of pop that in the bio. But I just wanted to sort of take this opportunity to say thank you for coming on Primrose Light. I thought this was a really, really interesting conversation. Oh, no, thank you for having me and... Uh... Thank you for all the amazing questions, and I really hope our our listeners will enjoy. And you know, as as you know, if it helps someone to embark on an entrepreneurial adventure after listening, um, you know, to to our conversation, that that will be a, a fantastic win, I think. Or if it will reassure someone who may not be sure how they're trying to build their business, then then you know, we, I think we've achieved we have achieved what we set to accomplish Abs- when we Abs- started chatting. Um, Absolutely. Talk about that. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much once again, Tanya, and everyone for listening. I appreciate this was a slightly longer podcast, but um, there was so much good content. So I really hope that you found that this was a useful podcast. And until next time, I hope you stay real safe and God bless. Bye.